So for those of you who don't know Luke, uh, just, uh, maybe just explain uh, what you've been up to, what is your mission, uh, what's your heart uh, for Jesus and for people, and, and, and where, you're, where you're living. I know your wife is Petunia. Uh, maybe just give, share some stuff about that. Yeah, thank you very much, Pastor Grant. Um, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's always a privilege and honor for me to, to be here, uh, because for me, this is a church that has been partnering with us for, for more than 10, 10 years, and then so you are a partner that's been with us in our community without physically being there. So being with, here, with you here really means for me being, being with a family. So and that's, that's kind of how I'm going to behave, and hopefully I'm going um, gonna, I'm gonna to be uh, consistent with uh, my, feeling, my feelings of being part of a family or coming back to a family. Yes, so... Um, my wife, Petrina, and I started an interchange team. We are part of Novo Interchange, and we started our team in 2007, moved into a township, which is a community of poverty in South Africa called Sochanguve in 2008, and we've been there ever since. And our focus has been to, to raise disciples uh, of Jesus as well as uh, local leaders who will be missionaries in their own um, local communities. And that's been the focus of our work, and um, today uh, we, we have a team of uh, 37 people, full -time, uh, five full-time staff members, and, and the others are volunteers who are working not only in the township where we live, where we have our hub, but they are spread through five different communities of poverty in, in South Africa. Uh, so um, our model of discipleship has a, a preference toward multiplication, so we encourage everyone that we have the privilege of joining with and bringing to the Lord to also um, prioritize bringing other people to the Lord. So, and that's, that's been our focus. And, um, and today, um, it's, uh, at least for, for a season now, uh, I've been also given the responsibility to lead other interchange teams on the continent. So we've got a team in, um, in Kenya as well as uh, Ethiopia, and I get to lead those. Now we've, we've just added two teams, uh, Novo teams in Nigeria as well as Uganda that I get to, to supervise as well. Uh, it, is, it is a task that I have to do, but also a privilege seeing that what we've, we've done so far in South Africa has a solid enough foundation that there is a team leader who is there that we, we, we developed and uh, who is capable of leading the team. And uh, we continue to see a flow of disciples of Jesus coming to the Lord with a primary focus on going uh, to places outside the church and bringing them to the church or creating uh, expressions that are meaningful to them outside the formal institution of church and really cultivating that and, and again, encouraging them to also raise disciples or form teams. So that's, that's, that's been our focus. And... Um, it's been humbling to see what, what, is, what is happening and, uh, and also I'm sharing with you so that you can continue pray for us or if you, you are not um, up to date with um, what is going on, you can, you can start praying for us so that we can con God continue to do what he's been doing for these many, many years through Interchange. 
Great, Luke. Thank you. Yeah. So just to, um, what has been hard, it's been a hard year globally, mm -hmm. all the craziness. I know earlier you mentioned some differences you've seen between uh, how the pandemic has affected where you live and then here, but what's been difficult as far as doing ministry and continuing on uh, in the circumstances? Um, I'm assume like, like, everyone, like everywhere else, COVID has been really difficult um, and because it meant really locking down, locking down our lives. So personally, um, I was hit really hard by COVID uh, last, last May and I was in hospital in the ICU for, for a couple of weeks and, that's, uh, and it was a miracle that I came out of the ICU, my doctors told me. Uh, my wife was also infected. My wife is an ICU nurse and uh, she actually works at least five times a week with COVID patients. So that's something that you can pray about, that our family continues to be a high-risk family because my wife is in contact with COVID patients uh, every day. Um, so most of us as a family have gotten it already. Uh, I was the only one who, who had it very hard. So it's, uh, I'm thankful that God was able to heal me and uh, that I could be a testimony of his healing despite of all the prognosis. So a challenge connected to COVID in our community has meant that because our model is primarily practical ministry, so we, we invite neighbors, people into something practical, such as sport or healthcare or tutoring, and, and that's how we, you know, we gather them and we minister to them and we, we disciple. So with, with, with COVID, we had to stop that initially. But then we, we thought later on about how about we, we comply with the rules of having small groups and uh, continue. So the theme was, what does it mean to continue? And that has been an encouragement to see that we've had small groups of, you know, discipleships that have multiplied and have grown. So that challenge was converted into uh, some sort of fruitfulness. A continued challenge uh, is just the fact that so many of... Uh, our neighbors, over, over the past years, we've also been able to connect with, with businesses in the country and even uh, connect neighbors to, to job opportunities. So one of the prominent consequences or ramifications of COVID in our, in our country is that there's just been so many losses of jobs. And we see that with a lot of our neighbors, which just means that the quality of life of many, many of our neighbors uh, has been declining, and we've seen especially a lot of young people that we work with who are unable to now go to school, especially to university, because of a loss of income from their parents. We also see a lot of neighbors needing relief, um, such as food parcels, because they've lost jobs. And, uh, and at least in the foreseeable future, they, we don't seem to see any sustainable solution because Actually, South Africa as a country still enforces a lot of restrictions when it comes to COVID um, than what I've seen here. Uh, so we're kind of still in the heat of it, and um, we hope that we'll recover in the near future. It's something that you can also, I invite you to pray about so that, yeah, some wisdom could be generated from this pain and that we could be resilient in terms of continuing to be good news agents as a ministry in that community, yeah. Yeah, look, for sure. You know, I love just hearing you speak. Um, and there's a few people that we're in partnership with uh, through Novo in particular, mm -hmm. uh, the same kind of heart, you know, and, mm -hmm. and even the strategies about going outside of the church, mm -hmm. connecting with the community, finding other spaces 
uh, where we can meet people and, and, and get to know them and share, you know, it's just building networks, building communities. It's really fantastic. Yeah. Um, so, so just how can we be praying for you? You've mentioned a few things already, but any particular things that we can be praying for you, Luke, and for Petunia, your family, uh, health, definitely. Mm. Yes, thank you. Yeah. So besides the, 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 the prayer needs that I mentioned, it will be, you know, I would invite you to pray for, for our family that will continue to be, to be faithful um, for God's protection and that my wife, Petrina, will continue to, to contribute to saving lives through her work as a nurse and continuing to serve wholeheartedly COVID, COVID patients that uh, she's entrusted with. Um, also pray for, for our team. I'm in the middle of a transition to, to, to fully uh, hand over the responsibility of our South Africa team to, to someone. And, um, and I'm realizing more and more that it's going to take um, quite a bit of work uh, to do that. So pray that uh, God would give me the wisdom uh, to delegate, to release, and to empower. Um, I come from a culture as an African where we usually overstay our welcome when it comes to leadership. And uh, please pray for me that I would not do that. Um, <laughs> and also pray that we'll continue to multiply, uh, not only in South Africa, but uh, yeah, throughout the continent, and really continue to provide a model of um, the good news of the gospel that could not only be attractive to other people, but it could also be uh, a, sense, a sign of... Um, you know, pro, you know, a prophetic, a prophetic sign, even at at a macro level, when it comes to our political leaders, who who could learn to be servant leaders. We like to pressure ourselves as servant leaders, and uh, we are sending out seven leaders, and we would like to see servant leaders at all levels of um, our society. Yeah. Amen. Thank you. Well, I'm going to pray with you. Thank you. For and with you, and if you want to just kind of stretch out your hands toward Luke here, and we'll just share a blessing uh, for our brother here. Mm. Oh, Father, Lord, Lord Almighty, uh, you are unhindered. Your presence is everywhere. Uh, the earth uh, and its fullness is yours. Uh, Lord, thank you for sending uh, our brother Luke uh, to be with us this morning. Um, we are uh, connected with bonds that can never be uh, disconnected mm -hmm. through the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Lord, we share uh, a heart uh, to have people know that there is a God uh, who made the heavens and the earth and who loves them and who has sent Jesus Christ to uh, bring them into relationship. Lord, I pray for Luke and Petunia. I pray for strength. I pray for energy. I pray for health and protection. Lord, for Petunia, as she uh, is laboring uh, to help sick people, I pray for protection for her. I pray that when she has uh, a chance to rest, that it would be restorative and that she'd really be able to uh, gain energy. Uh, I pray for their marriage. I pray for them as, as mom and dad. Uh, Lord, I pray for Luke's leadership uh, and this passing on of responsibilities. And I pray that uh, that would be something that he would find uh, to be a joy uh, and that uh, you would bring the right people uh, to take up the tasks uh, and that he would continue to step into whatever it is you have next for him. Lord, thank you for the privilege uh, of being able to be partners with Luke and his family and his colleagues. Uh, Lord, uh, deepen these connections for us, please, Lord, and help us to have Luke in our hearts that we continue to pray for him, lift him up, uh, empower him, Lord, as your servant. For we thank you and pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you very much. Thank you, Luke.
Thanks, Luke. So as I said, uh, Luke's going to be joining us for some food, some nourishment after our time together this morning in the Word, and look forward to that. You get a chance to chat. So uh, don't uh, one person monopolize Luke's time like we don't want to get a chance to chat with him. So just saying, you know, uh, especially me, <laughs> uh, we, can, we can mingle and, and uh, all get some time with Luke. So yeah, we're in Mark chapter 12. We're, we're getting close, guys. Uh, we're going to be done by Easter Sunday in the Gospel of Mark. It's been a long journey, and I hope it's been a good one. It's been, I've probably learned, they say teachers learn more than the students do, right? But I have learned a ton about uh, this Gospel, and especially about the one uh, that it's written about. It's, 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 Mark wants to show us Jesus. That's what this Gospel is all about, and it's the good news of Jesus, uh, and in studying this um, passage this week, it's Mark chapter 12, verses 28 to 34, if you have a Bible. If you don't actually have a Bible and you'd like one, there are some at the back wall. You Feel free to take one uh, for yourself, either this, you know, this morning to read or to take it home afterwards. Uh, you're welcome to take one. It reminded me of this um, concept right now. There's a, there's a term, a word that is floating around um, in connection with Christianity these days, and in particular with evangelical Christianity, and it's this word deconstruction. Has anyone ever heard that word recently? Deconstruction. Okay, I'm going to have to do some explaining. I'm surprised. Some of you have. Uh, and it's something that, as is the case for most things in our culture right now, is quite a dividing issue uh, within culture, with kind of battle lines being drawn and uh, verbal punches thrown, and often a great deal of heat and not very much light. Uh, in fact, there's all, uh, this, this week, uh, checking in, there's almost 300,000 posts on Instagram using the hashtag deconstruction. So uh, here's as far as I can tell the who and the what and the why of this issue. So bear with me and maybe this will start to make sense. So who? Who is deconstructing? Well, typically, it's those who've been involved in the evangelical church in America for the majority of their lives. People who've been raised in evangelical churches from childhood are the majority of the people who are involved in this. And, and many of them have been leaders in churches, pastors and youth pastors and worship leaders, um, many of whom have lived for their entire life in the evangelical bubble. Did you know there was an evangelical bubble? Some of you know what I'm talking about. And, and you know, it's like when, when you're you know, growing up and they say, if you like uh, ACDC, you'll love Skillet, right? But you know, the whole culture, that everything is provided for you, which, is, which has been Christianized. Um, so it's often these people, it's typically younger generations that are having this experience uh, of, of what we, they're calling deconstruction. Gen Z, millennials, even Gen X like us, right? A lot of us are Gen X, right? The forgotten generation. We've just been quietly in the background. Um, so that's, that's the who. Uh, usually people who have had a very long engagement in the evangelical culture. Secondly, what? Well, it's really a growing sense that a lot of the subculture of evangelical Christianity uh, and, and the commands and the priorities and the, and the kind of all the what's and what-nots about that have, have perhaps caused some challenges and, and issues for people as they've been growing up in this world. And, and it, there's a lot of talk about issues of shame uh, and kind of self-loathing and condemnation and, and the discouragement of, of thinking, intellectual inquiry, asking questions in church. There's a lot of talk about that, that it was not encouraged to actually express any kind of doubt. 
hypocrisy, celebrity pastors, culture wars, politics being involved, and, and authoritarian leaders and control, and all these kinds of things, uh, a lot of toxic things. And people are saying, hey, there was things in my past in church, in particular in connection with my church experience, that were seemed to be damaging to me in some way. And deconstruction um, seems to be some attempt to kind of sort out fact from fiction. What is it that I should really believe and hold on to? And are there some things that, that truly were not helpful uh, to human flourishing and, and to a connection with God and to others? What about why? Well, there are many reasons that perhaps this is happening now more than other times. I think one of them is just the internet and social media. I mean, there's just so much. Hashtags just go like fire, you know? They're just out there. And people who are kind of having a similar kind of crisis, it's very easy to see something that you might resonate with, and it kind of starts to build this force. And there has been a lot of publicized failures of evangelical church leaders and, and systems. And there's been a lot of damage that maybe in the past was hidden in a corner or, or covered over. And now it seems to be just shown. And there's a lot of concern about that. Uh, and even just a diminished cultural dominance of the evangelical church. It used to be a very powerful thing. And perhaps it has lost some of that dominance. Uh, and perhaps even, dare I say, perhaps there is a work of the Holy Spirit somewhere in this somehow because God is in he's able to step into all things and sometimes we see something go like I don't really like that but perhaps God might be doing something uh, here so uh, some folks listening to me right now if if you've now you maybe know what I'm talking about right the deconstruction word didn't appear you didn't resonate with you but maybe you know what I'm talking about now but some of us would hope that the next words out my mouth would be a strong condemnation of anything that even looks like this kind of evaluation and critique of evangelical church. And other people here this morning might think, yes, this is great. You should strongly recommend that we're all doing this right now. We're all figuring out what's, what's true, what's good, and then do a rigorous process. Well, I'm going to do neither of these things today. Neither of them. Okay? You know, someone said to me, I think it was Josh, actually. Josh has said a lot of wise things recently. Seriously. This is... No, he said, he said it's so true. You know, often... The better way is somewhere in the middle, kind of balance, right? So I'm not going to shut it down, and I'm not going to say, like, hey, absorb this from the internet and get on your way and do this deconstruction thing. What I'm going to do, I hope, is to allow Jesus, in his word, to inform the sort of spiritual work that, that every seeker of God should be engaged in today. And, and they're, they're, it has some relevance to this. And, and it's demonstrated in this story that we're going to hear this morning, where once again, Jesus is confronted, uh, engages with a, a leader in the Jerusalem church in the, near the temple. Uh, and, I'm, and so, first of all, we'll say, why is this relevant? Why are you talking about this, Grant? Is this relevant? Well, I think it is very relevant because I'm kind of heartbroken about a lot of things I have seen in people who, are, 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 who have no real, perhaps... Uh, a guidance in some of this stuff from the church and people we don't once again if we don't talk about it it's almost like it's not relevant but I have seen a mass exodus from engagement with church from people who have been deconstructing and also I believe that potentially some real harm has been done to people who are now kind of experiencing kind of trauma from some of the things that happened in the churches that they were raised in, whatever, at Sunday school, whatever was said, that at the time seemed just normal, but, but there are some issues with it now. I went to, to the Freeze Art Fair yesterday with my family. My brother is an artist in Scotland, and he has a gallery in Glasgow. 
And every year in LA, there's a massive thing called the Freeze Art Fair. I tell you how underdressed I felt there yesterday. It was in Beverly Hills, and it's all the, you know, art collectors and stuff. But what was interesting is, I, I, in a lot of the work that I saw, I saw this kind of a spiritual longing from the generation of artists that seemed to be, through their work, expressing something of the pain of being a human being, but like a, a sense of longing for something better. And so we must engage with these questions. Uh, last week I had a conversation with a, a good friend of mine who was raised in the church that I first pastored at up in Orcas Island. And he's a really talented drummer, he's toured the world. But we had a long conversation about his process. He wouldn't call it deconstruction, he doesn't have a name for it, but it's really looking back on some of the things that he was told in church and some of the ways that that culture affected him that turned out to have quite negative consequences for his belief in God, foundationally, uh, and his ability to, th to think well uh, of the Christian faith. Um, a couple of months ago, I had a conversation at Railside with a local teacher who similarly, since the beginning of the pandemic started, has not returned to church because of concerns that they had had, that maybe the Jesus that they understand, have come to know, uh, is perhaps quite different from the church that he has been raised in. And he was thoroughly evangelical church from start to finish here. Um, my own kids and their generation, they got questions. Um, some of them are throwing the baby out with the bathwater, you know? Just wholesale rejection. I'm an atheist now, and I'm so happy. I unburdened myself from the guilt and the shame and the condemnation that I've lived with because I was told that I am a rotten sinner. I, that concerns me. So who has heard of this or experienced this? Is anyone currently uh, thinking through their faith? You don't even raise your hand, just think. Are you currently thinking through your faith like about the things that you perhaps are wondering about the things you've been taught, perhaps I don't know. Um, here's the thing, at, at the very basic point, Christ has never given up on these people. And so neither should we, neither should we. And it's so easy to be drawn into cultural fights where it's like, they're the bad people because they have questioned something. Christ has never given up on these people, so neither will we. So I'm gonna ask Linda Tridy if she would come and read this passage for us in Mark chapter 12. Our dear friend, Linda. Good morning. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all of your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, 
you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Thank you, Linda. A good word. So, so Mark is is a a master, I think, of, of writing and putting things in a particular context or in order to make his points. Um, there are three Gospels that are very similar, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then John is out there, man. He's out there in crazy land, right? Fantastic. We might do that at Gospel sometimes. It's fantastic, but it's very different from these ones. But each of the authors of these Gospels, they arrange the material in a very specific way for a particular purpose, and Mark definitely does this. And, and Mark puts this conversation with this man called the teacher, a teacher of the law, uh, right after this series of what we've been calling con- controversy stories, right? It's kind of very antagonistic in engagements with, uh, with these religious leaders. And I think it tells us something about the context out of which this man comes to Jesus. Okay, he is a leader in Israel. He is a leader in Jerusalem. He is a leader in the temple. But he comes out of this context which we've seen demonstrated in these previous conversations with Jesus that were very antagonistic. Uh, We said false words, false motivations, false allegiances. And and I think some of the stuff that's happening with particularly younger generations uh, or those who have grown up and are about older, but they're having this kind of crisis may have something to do with some similar stuff, which we've talked about over the past few weeks in connection with these controversial stories uh, that, that perhaps is present in the evangelical American church in some similar ways, because I tell you, it doesn't matter where you are, what culture you're in. It's interesting, Luke said, uh, African leaders have, have difficulty not overstaying their welcome. I, and I think that can be true wherever you are. Power is very, very attractive. Remember we talked about Jesus giving away power? That's not what we do in this, this culture. So we have these stories. I'm just going to go through them. And this is from out of which this man comes to Jesus. And this is the first, the only time that there's a favorable interaction between a leader and Jesus. This is actually a good one. Like, woo, finally, a kind of a good interaction. And here's what, so the first thing we saw, they asked him, who, by whose authority are you doing these things? By who, who gave you authority to do these things? Mark chapter 11 said, They arrived again in Jerusalem while Jesus was walking in the temple courts. The chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you authority to do this? And I think that that's very prevalent sometimes in, in the evangelical American church. That we have the authorities. They tell you who is on the right side, who's on the wrong side, etc., etc., and I think it's something that feels almost like we have this need to protect God. Because <laughs> God needs protection. We've got to protect him. And sometimes we end up resorting to very harsh condemnation and exclusion in order to protect the God who needs apparently protecting. Um, I actually had a text uh, from someone I, uh, who had had a conversation about her process of trying to figure out her faith and, and uh, it was really interesting, the specific word she used about her own journey. Um, and she's had some pretty painful experiences in larger evangelical churches. And she said this in her text, you know, no more gatekeepers, just gate openers. And I just thought it was so remarkable because 
When I preached on that whose authority thing, I talked about the, different, the three kinds of leaders that came to Jesus, and I titled them lawmakers, gatekeepers, and movers and shakers. And then this young woman says, like, I just kind of long for no more gatekeepers, gate openers. Talk with us. And she said, the people that were beneficial in my life are the people who are just present and say, let's have a conversation. Um, so there's, this man's coming from this world of authority. And he has a lot. He's a teacher of the law. The second thing, Josh again. Let's hear it for Josh, right? <laughs> Josh preached on uh, the, the parable Jesus told about a vineyard and these stewards who were supposed to care for the vineyard, but they wanted to own it. And, and the owner of the vineyard sent these messengers, and it was kind of a parallel to the story of God sending prophets. They meant to steward the people. And it said that the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. And it's the sense of acting as if we own the gospel, we own the kingdom, rather than we are simply stewards of it, dispensing generously. We don't own it, it is not ours. And the third thing was the Caesar and God thing. Who got a coin, by the way? I think there might still be some in the seats, because I don't know if we accounted for them all. So if there's anyone who wants to go take a look around, and while you're there, could you replace, if there's any of the other things missing, could you like fill them up for us and put the pens in? But we talked about Caesar and God. It's a remarkable passage uh, in the, the times that we are in. And Jesus said, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And it kind of pointed to maybe a confusion about where our loyalty to God and our political alignment may begin or end. And, and I think that's very much the case. It's to, to, to sort of tribe up and, and, and form your battle lines around a political identity and perhaps forget that thing we said that, that you are closer uh, to, in Christ to the, to, to the most opposite number politically if you're in Christ with them than you are close to someone who agrees with you about every political situation. So this man's coming out of this world of politics and religion, and you just feel kind of the heaviness of it, you know? Um, Long-winded, hypothetical, theological question. That was last week, right? They said, so there was this guy, uh, imagine this guy, and he got married, and there's this woman, and then he died, didn't have any children, so his brother married her, didn't have any children, and his brother married her, didn't have any children, and we seven times in the resurrection, which we don't believe in, by the way. Whose husband uh, will she be? Sorry, wife will she be, sorry. Um, and, and, and I think it's like that, that's very much also we have this kind of like if you look on the internet you look up um, any issue you will find all of this angry debate about the finer points of theology and I think sometimes our, people look at that and go you guys is all you do argue about post-trib, mid-trib, pre-trib you know what was the fruit that Eve ate? Was it an apple? <laughs> and I think we have this desire often to make everything in its right place. Black and white, clear. And the word heretic gets thrown about so carelessly. Almost as often as the word Nazi gets thrown about about whatever political opponent you disagree with, right? But the word heretic is so quick to be like, heresy, 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 heresy. And it shuts down conversation. So who is this man? So the, the, this is kind of the, the world he's coming out of. It's a very difficult world, but he's part of the system. But somehow it seems like he is 
encountered something in Jesus that he thinks, wow, there's something that I must go and talk to this man. And it, what it says is that when he heard how well Jesus answered the previous people, he came to Jesus. And I, and I think that's the first thing, isn't it? That there's, Jesus is the attractor. He's the one who attracts. He is the one who attracts. So he comes to him. He's a teacher of the law, an expert in the Jewish religious law. Uh, and it's the first time, like I said, that there's a, an honest and healthy interaction between one of these leaders and Jesus. I mean, I tell you, in the context of this, I'm celebrating this. To me, this in, like mission, in a mission situation, it's like meeting with someone of power, and they seem to click and get it, and they're interested and curious. And that is a beautiful thing, um, especially coming out of that, that world. So this man is acquainted with the hundreds, if not thousands, of Old Testament laws and all the laws that he added on to them to explain how to follow the laws and he comes to Jesus, and it almost seems like he's coming seeking clarity. What is the most important of the commandments, teacher? A man of the establishment coming from this world and, and seeking clarity. And Jesus engages with him wholeheartedly. Well, remember we talked, it was amazing. Even the people who came deceitfully to trap him, he engaged with them wholeheartedly. But this man comes with his heart open and Jesus comes the same way. No trickery, straightforward, present and honest. And I wonder if this man was perhaps weary of the status quo. Weary. And I think similarly, many young people and not so young people um, are not out to tear down Jesus. They actually are attracted to Jesus, but they're seeking some clarity and some freedom and joy and hope that they were promised and they maybe haven't found. So this man, we could say he's deconstructing, you know, but he's looking for clarity. What is true, teacher? What is lasting, teacher? What is abiding? What is real? What should I be putting my energies into? And so here's how it goes with Jesus and his responses. And the first thing is about the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter. And Jesus says, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Interesting, Mark, again, he, he's the only gospel writer out of the three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, Luke that, that say this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. He's the only one that records this, and it's called the Shema, and it's something that uh, Jewish people would say morning and night for every day of their lives. And I don't know exactly why Jesus included this, and Mark reported Jesus' inclusion of it, but I think perhaps it is a place of building trust with this man to say we're standing on the same place. We worship the same God. That's a foundational truth that we both agree on. And so he recites the Shema and says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He starts with that. And then he moves on to this clarity. And he boils down the entirety of the law into these really three commands, actually, if we think about it. The first is love God. The second is love others. And in the Old Testament, actually, the love other part, where it first appears in the Old Testament, is actually your neighbors who are Israelites. 
And we find out in another gospel that Jesus means every person around you, every person, no matter who they are. And love yourself, right? Love yourself because you're precious. God made you. He loves you. So this man knew the law. Someone smarter than me with more time on their hands counted the laws in the Torah, which is the first five books of the Old Testament. There are 613 commandments. Anyone kept them all? 248 of them are positive, you shall. And perhaps not surprisingly, 365 are you shall not. But throughout the Old Testament, there are many summaries of the law, attempts to summarize it. And there are many, and you can probably find them on the internet, but there's a couple I want to mention. One is in Isaiah 56, verse 1. This is what the Lord says, maintain justice and do what is right. And then Micah 6, 8, you guys probably know this one. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. And I think these are satisfying. They're satisfying to our soul. And they're perhaps a good, a good thing to seek to do, to say what encapsulates the, the does, what is the commandments of God? Well, it's what he wants. And it comes from his heart of love. It's what we should also want then. Um, so he says these things. There's a vertical and there's a horizontal. These are the most important things. To love, Lord your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and your neighbor as yourself. So secondly, first thing, heart of the matter. Second, a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. The most important one, yeah, love the Lord and love your neighbor. What does that look like? Does it, what does that look like to love God, to love your neighbor? Is it about being a gatekeeper? Is it about ensuring that everyone's beliefs perfectly align with the current authority in your church? Or is it something different? Well, Jesus explains it. He uses these words. Heart, soul, mind, strength. So the first thing is to love God. And, and, and you, by using these words, he basically encapsulates everything about what it means to be a human being. He's saying, yes, the Lord is one, the Lord is God. And your priority in life is to offer all that you are to him. First thing, heart. Place of affection, that for which we long. My heart longs, desires. Focus that on God. Psalm 37, one of my favorite verses is, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. The second thing is soul. What is a soul? Well, it's, it's the entirety. It's my being. It's the meanness of me and the you-ness of you. Bring that. As quirky and weird as you are, bring your soul to God. And then the mind I love that he includes the mind, because that's a lot of what we're talking about here, engaging our minds, thinking. There's a, a, a saying that I picked up from a book, and I couldn't remember where I got it from, uh, but it's this, thinking aloud and thinking aloud aloud. Isn't that clever? I would like that to be the case, thinking aloud and thinking aloud aloud. 
The, th- the next thing is strength. What is strength with all of your strength? Well, it's, it's our life force, our breath, our energy, the ability to, to move and affect physical change on this world in which we live, this physical world, our strength. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and all your strength. And then love your neighbor. And I think he would say similarly with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And, and I think this is, this is how we get to a better place because I think sometimes we find ourselves caught up in all of the minutia of the Christian doctrinal world and culture and Jesus just gets it right to the matter of the heart and says, this is what you're called to do. This is your daily task. This is when you wake up in the morning and say, God, I love you. Help me to love you with my heart and help the people I interact with and not wake up worrying about some of the other stuff which is, which is secondary to this priority. So this man comes to Jesus and he seems like he's seeking clarity and we, we felt, I think, the, the world he has come out of and then it's wonderful because he affirms these truths in this conversation with Jesus. And he says, well said, teacher, you are right. I don't know about you. When I read that, I'm like, there's joy. There's affirmation and connection. But most of all, joy, you are right. This is good. This is true. You know, like a thirsty man getting a drink of water. He suspected Jesus might have something that could refresh his soul. And indeed, Jesus did. And it felt good. And so then Jesus says this. Uh, when Jesus saw, uh, so the man repeats it. And he, he repeats back to Jesus. Yes, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor better than all the sacrifices and burnt offerings. And then Jesus says, he had answered wisely. He said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. That tells me that there's like a, there's a distance that can be different for people, right? There's a continuum of perhaps nearer, perhaps farther. And Jesus understood that this man in this conversation had moved closer to the kingdom, which is hard to do. I, I, I was thinking the other day as well about the things that Jesus chose about loving the Lord your God might even just apply to this man because this man needed to have be thinking about things, but he also needed strength. Imagine being a leader in the Jerusalem church and you're in the temple that day in the midst of this powerful place and you're stepping closer to Jesus. That really costs something. That requires something. And I think really it is this, the closer to Jesus, the nearer to the kingdom of God. It all feels like a wordplay because he's standing right in front of him and he is recognizing Jesus something significant. And he says, oh, you are not far from the kingdom of God. <laughs> wink, wink. But really what it was, was proximity to Jesus that was making the difference for this man. He sought him out. He sought him out. He didn't try and fix all the other parts of the system that were broken, right? He didn't try necessarily to affect change from within, which is not necessarily a bad thing either. The first thing he did is he came to Jesus because he had somehow saw him as a source of what he needed and he came to him and he met him. And we don't know what happened to this man afterwards, whether he continued that journey, but this was this one point in the continuum and he moved a bit further, closer. 
And I wonder sometimes if we are supposed to be the church, if Luke and his colleagues and family are, are meant to be you know, a witness to Jesus because we're the body of Christ and Jesus is meant to be you know, manifesting in and among and through us that perhaps we might be becoming a place where people might see something that they long for. And we don't present all of the obstacles to participation or involvement or belief that often are put there. We simply point them towards love of God and love of neighbor as Jesus does. So this conversation had a strong effect on the other people who were listening. In, in these conversations, there's always, there's always Jesus, there's the person who's listening, that's having the conversation, and there's a bunch of witnesses around. And you never know what they're going to respond like. But Mark tells us, it says, from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Right? And that's the same response, that kind of response I have. A good thing. Good job. Get some sleep now, Jesus. Actually, they went off to plot to kill him. But it's actually a tragedy. It's a tragedy. Because it was their motivation of what they were trying to achieve, which was maintain power. They were not open-hearted like this man that caused them to go, we've asked him a bunch of questions. He bests us every time. We're not asking him any more questions. And that is a tragedy that they stopped this conversation. They stopped seeking him out. And all they wanted to do now was shut him up. So, so this deconstruction thing, you know, I've heard, I read uh, this week, Strong condemnation against it. I read strong, hearty recommendations toward all of it in all of its forms. And I read a few people who I feel were more balanced. And they said, like, number one, they're our neighbors. We must love them. Listen to them. Um, but, and I find that some people can't seem to get past a process of deconstruction and move on to construction or reconstruction. And I think that's amazing because we just heard a few weeks ago about Jesus being the chief cornerstone. So reconstruction, it has to start with, with that. That's our message, right? And then there are some people who will fight against any change at all. And some of the detractors of any kind of inquiry or critique of the church are because they do not want to lose something. And it may be power, it may be influence, it may be authority, it may be something. But like these chief priests and teachers of the law, Jesus himself can't change their minds. We want to be a community that builds wisely. We want to be a community where people can come and ask their questions, explore what it might mean to enter into relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Uh, and we have strong convictions about some things. So I'm not saying that, we, that all things are true, it's a subjective thing like that. But we have a saying that we've been using quite a lot here at New Song, because we are not a denomination. This, this for me, it's a wonderful thing. I've never been part of a denomination, so there's nothing that I have to believe about every aspect of the Bible. But there are some things that we as Christians have always believed. And so this saying was, is attributed to Augustine, was in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty or freedom. You can mid, you can post, you can pre. Let's eat. And in all things, charity. Or love. And I've always found that to be a good guide for how we might interact with the other, each other. This, this, the, the second thing is this thing we've talked about a lot, which used to be a banner up there, which is belong and believe and behave. Belonging, believing, behaving. Belonging, believing, behaving. We talked about the fact that often at a church you have to believe exactly the right way. You have to behave at least when you're in church. 
when we can see you in exactly the right way, and then perhaps you can belong to the exclusive club. But we don't want to be like that. We want to say, hey, you can come and belong. Because some, you're on the continuum somewhere. You might be angry at God. You might be as far away. You might literally just detest everything about it. But if you set foot in a place like this or in, 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 in our, to our company, we'll take that seriously because like, God is drawing people. And so we'll be prepared to wait for belief and behavior because that's God's work in you. But we'll let you belong with us because we're sinners too. Saved by grace. So here's just three words. Preachers love to alliterate. They like to put the same letter at the beginning of things for easy memory. And I'm old school in that way. But here's something that we can, we can think about doing. If we're just in your own journey with this, uh, repentance. And that's simply openness to changing your mind. It's not beating yourself up, saying I'm, I should be ashamed. It's simply saying, I want to change my mind and believe I want to encounter Jesus and know what he wants me to think about. Reflection, take some time to think about these things, whether by yourself or in conversation, then renewal. I think renewal is a better word than deconstruction. Renewal, because that is what God is in the business of doing, renewing us, and some things will have to fall away, um, and some things will, will grow and become fruitful. So you might say, I have doubts about X, Y, and Z, and I'll say, love the Lord your God, and love your neighbor as yourself as you journey through those questions. You might say, I have sin issues that I struggle with daily that I can't seem to get past. And I say, hey, get up in the morning and love God with all your heart. And you and know you're forgiven, right? And love your neighbor as yourself. And let growth come from that. I have pain from past church interactions and things that happened with Christians. Good, upstanding, righteous men and women. Broken, flawed men and women. And it hurts, and it causes me to feel nervous around church stuff. Well, love God and love your neighbor. Hey, Pastor Grant, some of the things you said today tweaked my inner fundamentalist. Some of the things I say tweak my inner fundamentalist. And I say, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. I have strong convictions about some stuff that Grant might label non-essential. Because there's a lot more, maybe, you know, he'd say, I'd say, fantastic. Let's love God and our neighbors together as we sit down for a cup of coffee and a long conversation about important things. So we're going we're gonna to come now. This is the, the place where it all comes together. Because we're talking about this is Jesus. Um, and we're remembering as we come to communion now, that there's a table that Jesus invited and invites us to. Um, and I just want to focus briefly. Uh, if, oh, once, if someone doesn't, anyone doesn't have a communion thing that would like to participate this morning, by taking this with us, you're declaring your desire to follow Jesus, to move closer to Him. Do we have extras? Fantastic. Thank you. Is that Gina? Yeah. Thank you, Gina. <clears throat> it's interesting that, that the, when the, the man who comes to Jesus, when he responds to Jesus' uh, assertions about what's most important, he repeats it, but then he adds something at the end. 
He says to love him with all your heart, all your understanding, all your strength, to love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says this, it's more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. All burnt offerings and sacrifices. And this is like, just like a hint of what's to come. That there was a time when in order to interact with God and have this relationship of love, it required sacrifice and offering, this perpetual coming to God in repentance uh, and this, the smoke always rising from the altars. Uh, but now Jesus has come and in a few short weeks, we're gonna enter into this time when he becomes the perfect sacrifice that enables all of this to work because in Christ, we find the power to love God and the power to love other people and the power perhaps to have some love for ourselves. First John Chapter 419 says, we love because he first loved us. Prior to anything we can do in these areas is his love for us. We love because he first loved us. And that's a God-sized love. That's in all of eternity. And in the cross, he showed us his love. And then Jesus rose, bringing with him all who die into him and life into him in the resurrection. So let's take the bread this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the concrete display of your love to us in the flesh and body of Jesus, who took the humble way who was betrayed at the hands of human beings, who was nailed to the cross, and from that cross who said, forgive them, Father, for they do not know what they are doing. Thank you, Lord, that in your broken body, our bodies can find wholeness and healing, but only with one another. Oh, Lord, bring more people to be part of our fellowship and our community with whom we can journey in knowing what it means to love you and love one another. Thank you, Lord. And we take the cup this morning and we remember the blood that was shed that enables us to have courage and confidence to get up in the morning knowing that we have been forgiven once for all we can make mistakes, we can take wrong turns, uh, and you're faithful to forgive, to restore, and to renew the blood of Christ. Amen.